Hey guys, and thanks for checking out this episode of the John Campia Show podcast, the audio-only version of the John Campia Show on YouTube. This episode was recorded on Tuesday, July the 14th, 2020, titled X-Men, 20th anniversary of the most important comic book film of all time. We're glad that you're joining us. And remember, if you're listening to this podcast, you can also submit a question or comment to be read on the live questions part of the show by simply going to the tip link in the description of this podcast, streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your question or comment on the show and you'll be supporting the show at the same time. And for now, let's get to the episode. How do we select our main topics here on the John Campy Show? Well, it's really rather simple. You see, You guys come up with them by going anytime, 24-7, over to www.thejohncampiashow.com slash contact. Once you guys get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's totally free. Hit submit, and then maybe, just maybe, you might see your topic or question featured as a main topic here on The John Campia Show. With that down, let's get on to main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Christian Hanna, who writes... John, did you hear this? Peacock has not only not made a deal with Roku to distribute the service, but they're basically calling on customers to pass the buck on to Roku to demand that they let Peacock be available on Roku devices. How pathetic is that? All right. Thanks a lot for saying that in Christian. And yeah, for those of you who don't know, Peacock is, a, is is ready to launch publicly. Like it's it's already had yeah. a launch to subscribers of on the different cable networks, but now it's getting ready to have its full app launch. Everybody can get it and everybody can see it. And we've heard this song and dance before. It's not being released on the two biggest, most important streaming devices in the world, Roku and Amazon Fire Stick, that according to Deadline, they make up 70%, 70% of cable cutters who just stream all their content on devices, stream their devices on either a Roku or an Amazon Fire Stick. So much like the HBO Max situation, which they launched without having deals with Amazon or with Roku, Peacock is going to have to launch without deals with Amazon Fire Stick or Roku either. This is what they basically wrote, trying to pass on the buck to Roku. Peacock writes, the Peacock paradox. Peacock is streaming free for all, but not on all devices are streaming Peacock. Squawk about it to Roku if you want it. In the meantime, check out all the other platforms where we are free. So so basically, here's the thing. Peacock was unable to reach a deal with Roku, Amazon Fire, and they are telling audiences to go and give the crap to Roku. By the way, a lot of the response is hilarious because they're all saying, uh, no, this is your fault, Peacock. It absolutely is. Now, some people might be tempted to look at a situation like this and say, well, yeah, why doesn't Roku just just let them on? Just put, just put them on, sign a deal. Why not? Here's the thing. Roku and Amazon Fire, but let's let's focus on Roku for a second. They're the bigger one and they're a very independent company. Roku has spent the better part of 11 or 12 years trying to build their business, build their community, build their user base in which they have invested hundreds of millions of dollars over the years to build up this streaming platform that the mass majority of people who use streaming will use Roku, all this kind of, they've invested so much into this. And now Amazon, or I should say Peacock comes along and says, oh, cool. You spent a decade or more and hundreds of millions of dollars building this platform, bringing all these streaming viewers together. Let us come in and and broadcast our stuff that we're going to make money off of for free on your thing. 
And Roku's like, no, 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 <laughs> no, no. We, we built this thing. And so if you want to come in here and play in this playground, you got to kick in. Now, most services like this, this do, and then it's just a matter of discussing and negotiating how much of a kick-in does that place. Now, Peacock was pretty, they were pretty deceitful uh, in their thing, just basically saying, oh, we're streaming free for everybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they've got three tiers. They've got free, where you can get like 7,500 hours of content. But the only reason they have that free stuff is to get you to sign up for one of the other two tiers that costs money. They have a $4.99 tier where you get like 10,000 hours of stuff. So, so extra are the really good content if you pay five bucks a month. Nothing wrong with that. And then an extra tier higher than that, that is $10 a month, but with no ads. So if you pay $5 a month, you get all that content, but you're still going to get ads. $10 a month, you get all the content, but no ads. And I've got no problem, Rob. I've got no problem with this pricing structure of theirs whatsoever. That's perfectly fine. But if you want to do that, and then take it to somebody else's playground that had to spend a decade building their playground and spending hundreds of millions of dollars to divide it. You got to make a deal to get in there and cut the other guy in who's making it possible for you to make so much money. And for them to then just get on and say, oh, everybody, Roku won't let us on. No, you just failed to negotiate a deal. Now, at the same time, Rob, I sh it should be pointed out that the common denominator in HBO Max's inability to get a deal with Roku and Amazon and Peacock, I still hate saying that name, and Peacock <laughs> being unable to negotiate a deal with Roku and Amazon. The common denominator there is Roku and Amazon. I mean, so so maybe it's possible that Roku and Amazon are starting to get unreasonable in what their demands are. That's possible. But from everything I'm seeing and hearing, it's just that that, you know, Peacock just wants to get in there for as cheap as possible. They want to spend they want to spend the same amount others have when they stand to make a lot more money. Anyway, Rob, you hear about a situation like this. What's your take on it? Well, I mean, it's it's a little odd to me that these these streaming services would be launching. Look, I've been banging on on Quibi for a long time because they didn't launch their service with anything other than phones. So you couldn't watch anything at home. And with Roku being as popular as it is, I find it astonishing to me that that they wouldn't have made a deal, that Peacock wouldn't have gone after, that they wouldn't make their streaming service widely available to everywhere you could possibly get it from. I, I don't understand that. I mean, this is, Peacock is, is NBC and Universal. It's huge. I mean, they want it to be like HBO Max. It's flagship. I mean, it's from a, a major studio and a major network. And it just seems to me like they're like, we got to get into the game. Let's launch. We might not be able to make all of our customer base happy and, and people want to get it a certain way and we're not going to give them that. But maybe we'll just pressure them into or maybe we'll uh, get them to use word of mouth to force Roku to put it on our plat or their platform. I, I, I don't understand. I really don't understand. I don't understand the economics behind it. And and why would you not, if you're launching something that's going to be presumably the most important thing in terms of media delivery, delivering your product to the consumers, I don't know, I guess for the next 50 years, wouldn't you want it to be launched with great fanfare so people aren't scrambling around looking like, where's why can't I get Peacock on my favorite, on Roku? Like, I don't get it, man. 
I, I, I just don't understand. Like, they want to do these soft launches. If they're not ready to go out of the gate in a big way and satisfy their customer base, why not hold off for a little while till you can? Yeah, or just make the deal. Right, or just right. make the deal. Or do what they do in sports. You know what? We can't. We can't come to a complete agreement, so why don't we compromise a little bit and we'll make it a shorter-term deal so we can come back and visit this again. So, like, if you're if you're Peacock, say, okay, you know what? Fine, Roku. We'll agree to your terms right now, or at least close closer to your terms right now, but instead of a five-year deal, we're going to make it a, a, a one-year deal. That, then at least you buy yourself a year to come up with 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 a new agreement, with a new deal instead of launching. I, I don't know. It just seems really odd. And I think it has hurt HBO Max, although I think HBO Max will be perfectly fine long term. Anyway, the question for you guys is simply this. What do you think about this? Do you think Peacock is making a mistake trying to launch when they're already behind? I mean, they're already behind Netflix and Disney Plus and they're going to be behind HBO Max and all that kind of stuff. Was it wise or is it wise for them to launch without being on those platforms? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two, shall we? And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Bryson, who writes, Well, John, it's a movie fan's worst nightmare. Did you see that Governor Gavin Newsom, he's the governor of California, by the way, just ordered the statewide shutdown of indoor activities, including movie theaters for us in California. It also includes all indoor restaurants, gyms, salons, things like that. I am so disappointed by this as I was holding out hope, but that's gone now. Uh, LOL. Now I am guessing it is just a matter of time until Tenet is delayed again since they just lost a massive market. All right. Thanks for sending that in, man. And yes. So what basically happened yesterday was the governor of California came out, made the announcement that they are re-implementing a lot of the lockdown rules because COVID-19 cases in California have spiked. And so they made the decision to shut things down. This includes movie theaters. Now, this, it should be pointed out, comes on the heels. If you guys saw the John Campus show yesterday, we talked about the fact that uh, a lot of the industry insiders are saying that it looks likely that Tenant was going to get bumped off August 12th already. If California shut down its movie theaters right now, I mean, it could be it could be a, almost a certainty. Now, it basically says this. This is from the governor who said the following. Uh, this virus is not going away anytime soon, he said. I hope all of us recognize that if we are still uh, connected to some notion that somehow when it gets warm, it's going to go away. Clearly, he was taking a jab at another particular politician who suggested that once the weather gets warm, this is just going to go away. Anyway, uh, uh, it's, it's important that we recognize that for those still connected to some notion that somehow when the weather gets warm, it's going to go away or somehow it's going to take the summer months or weekends off. This virus has done neither. It's incumbent upon all of us to recognize soberly that COVID-19 is not going anytime soon soon until there's a vaccine and or an effective therapy. So that came from the governor of California. Now, look, I've been pretty clear on my position on this whole thing when it comes to you, know, whether it's an indoor restaurant or an indoor movie theater or something like that. I believe there are steps we can take um, and with proper safety procedures that we can minimize our risk while still being able to go to a restaurant. Again, maybe with some extreme measures, limited amount of seating, requiring masks, lots of hand sanitizer, blah, blah, blah. Same that goes with movie theaters. I believe there is a way to do it that we can minimize risk and have it kind of work out. The problem is 
that it doesn't matter if you have all the right safety procedures if nobody follows them. And that has been a problem. I was telling the story about how a number of weeks ago, Ann and I went away for the weekend to San Diego uh, just to get away for a weekend. And it was great until one evening we were just going for a walk downtown at the gas lamp right around the Comic-Cons convention center there and saw that the streets were packed. The restaurants had just been allowed to open and the bars had just been allowed to open. And they were supposed to be minim minimizing how many people were allowed in the facilities at, at the same time. There were supposed to be all these safety precautions, but none of the places were following those rules. Like you saw every bar was packed to capacity with people overflowing out into the streets. Lots of people on the streets not wearing masks, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, it's fine and good for somebody like me to say, oh, just take the proper safety precautions. And if we take the proper safety precautions, then we're good. The problem is safety precautions are useless if nobody follows them. And so we've been getting a lot of spikes. There is no indication, Rob, in this statement about how long of a lockdown on indoor activities is going to be whether it'll be a week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. We're about four weeks away from when Tenet is supposed to open up. Um, I'd, yesterday, I said I think it's a 50-50 coin toss on whether Tenet was going to hit that August 12th date because they also just did a bunch of advertising on the UFC event this Saturday. They, they dropped a lot of money advertising on the UFC event this Saturday for August 12th. I think that 50% just dropped to a 30 or lower. So anyway, Rob, you see the situation. What do you think about the closing of the movie theaters again in California? And what do you think the chances are at this point that we're going to get tenant on August 12th? What do you think? Well, first of all, I'm angry. And obviously, you know that we were sheltering at home beginning in mid-March. Yep. And it, it seemed to me like we had a handle on all of this. And then they reopen and, ooh, surprise, surprise. You know, you don't follow the rules and boom, COVID cases are, are skyrocketing all over the place. I mean, there's new outbreaks in Japan, China. Uh, they just closed Hong Kong Disneyland and all the movie theaters in Hong Kong. I mean, it, it's incredible to me that and we had all the protests. So there was sort of a storm of things that happened as we were opening it back up the country. And now there's states where they're running out of ICU beds there it's it's crazy and you can't you can't knowingly open up movie theaters I, I mean they're they're trying to pass a law uh, Mitch McConnell I just read that they want as part of the new stimulus package bill that they want to make companies exempt from insurance claims if you get sick in their establishment so I'm like you you can't you can't do that. I mean, one of the big problems is is getting insurance for things and movie theaters. If they became incubators for COVID and they open theaters and people go and get the disease, I mean, that's horrible. That would that would torpedo movie theaters maybe forever. So they have to be really really smart about this. And with cases uh, skyrocketing, people can't go in into environments where they're going to be even socially distanced, sitting in a room with other people, breathing for two hours, two and a half hours. You just, you can't, nobody in their right mind could do that if your business is based on getting people together in auditoriums and serving them refreshments and, and, and things like that. You just, you can't do it. You can't do it. So there's really no choice. Now, uh, that said, if movie theaters, look, movies like Tenant, they're expecting to make a billion dollars and they can't open a movie like Tenant 
across the planet if half the movie theaters are closed. They can't do it. They'll never make their money back. It will actually cost them money between what they're going to spend on marketing and what they spend on the movie. It becomes not worth it. Now, it's interesting. I've got a friend in Germany, and he sent me a thing this morning. Unhinged is opening this week. On this weekend, you'll be able to see Unhinged in German theaters. They're socially distanced, and when you buy your ticket, it takes care of all that. They, they, the seats are already – you already see how socially distanced you are. And uh, it'll be interesting to see as these other markets open and new movies start to play elsewhere in the world how that's going to go. Um, that said, I just can't see Tenant keeping its date, especially with the, with the uh, numbers of cases that are going up. Yeah, it's, uh, it's – and, and you, know, you raised a great point about the fact that when the lockdown was in place, guess what? The curve flattened and it started to go down and then they started slowly reopening and then everybody thought, oh, the virus is gone. We can do whatever we want. And it's and here we are. Anyway, guys, question is for you. It seems like we've had asked this question like 15 times. What do you think at this point the chances are? Because listen, if California movie theaters are closed theaters are going to be closed what do you think the chances are the tenant actually hits that august 12th release date at this point it feels like we have to ask that every couple of days jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts all right with that down let's move on to main topic number three and our third main topic today gets submitted to us by samuel pole who writes i know you're not the biggest fan of the clone wars that's a bit of an understatement but i really like the final four episodes of the last season That being said, I found the first eight episodes to be quite poor, so I'm a bit torn on the news that there will now be a new series on Disney Plus covering The Bad Batch, who debuted in the final season. I found The Bad Batch to be pretty dumb, but maybe they'll shine on their own. What are your thoughts? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, for those of you who aren't aware what Bad Batch is, so there's a show called Clone Wars that had ran before, and then they did another season on uh, Disney Plus to wrap things up. And the Bad Batch is a group of clone, it's a clone troop uh, that are kind of misfit clones, if you will. And they call them the Bad Batch. And they're a paramilitary group, and they were in the first couple of episodes of the final season. I actually thought they were quite bad. Um, And the funny thing is, Even a lot of people I know who are big Clone Wars fans, and I'm not a big fan of Clone Wars, but even a lot of friends of mine who are big fans of Clone Wars, they're like, yeah, before they got to the final four episodes, even my my friends who are fans of Clone Wars are like, yeah, so far, final season, not so good. So the news came out that they are doing now that the news just dropped. They're going to do a whole new series on this group of clone troopers called Bad Batch. It's going to take place after the events of Clone Wars. So I believe they said it's going to take place immediately after the events of Clone Wars. So it's kind of a continuation there. Um, look, I'm I'm a little bit the wrong guy to ask because I'm not a big Clone Wars fan in the first place. Um, and I certainly didn't like Bad Batch as a part of that. But then again, a lot of people who are big Clone Wars fans weren't that big of fans of Bad Batch. I find it to be an odd choice. I understand their desire to continue on Clone Wars because uh, even though I wasn't a big fan of Clone Wars there are a bunch of people who are and so i understand the the desire to kind of continue one way or the other continue on clone wars i just thought i was very very surprised to hear they were going to go in the direction of bad batch considering their reception wasn't all that great it's not like they were universally hated like jar jar was at first but they weren't that well warmly received at first anyway rob 
I know you saw the final episode, the final uh, season of Clone Wars. Yeah. What do you think about this decision for them to do Bad Batch? What do you think? Well, I mean, look, to me, I, too, felt the last four episodes were great. The idea of the Bad Batch was, was you, you know, going all the way back to the Dirty Dozen. It's sort of a, a bunch of misfit soldiers or people that are trying to be whipped into shape as soldiers. I think that storyline always works. Now, what the one thing that makes me very interested in it is Clone Wars ended. It took us up to uh, up up to the movies. I mean, you know, it's it, the Clone Wars series is done. But there's a question that lingers, which is what happened to all the clones between the end of Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope? Where did they all go? I mean, obviously, by the time of A New Hope, you know, people were being conscripted into the Imperial Navy. You'd go to the, the academy and join up and become a trooper, become a, a member of the Imperial whatever. So where did the clones go? And if they're going to tell that story and through the, the idea of the Bad Batch, I think it could be kind of cool. And um, uh, we'll see. I mean, if it's a Dirty Dozen, uh, if it would be interesting to see if it's a Dirty Dozen-esque show where they're fighting for their survival in the mix in the midst of the Jedi being slaughtered and the rise of the empire and what's happening. I mean, I think it could be a good show. It could be cool, but again, it all comes down to the execution, good writing, good stories. I just feel like what happened to the clones is something that could be referenced in a two minute flashback sequence of another show rather than its own series. But clearly there was a there had to be look from my point of view where I was sitting and, and, and listening to fans. It didn't sound like they were all that war all that warmly received. They weren't universally hated. But I mean, maybe there was enough. Maybe there's enough people who thought this is really interesting. Maybe that was the plan all along. The whole reason they introduced them was so they could do a spinoff series with them later. So question is, guys. What do you guys think about this announcement to do Bad Batch? I'll be honest. I, I was surprised that they were doing it. Not surprised they want to continue on Clone Wars, but I'm surprised they were going that direction. Do you like the idea? Do you think maybe there are other characters from Clone Wars they could have continued on the story with? Or do you think Bad Batch is the perfect group to do it? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right. With that down, let's move on to main topic number four. And our fourth main topic today gets submitted to us by Frank... Gavino, who writes, Hey, John and crew, just wanted to point out that tomorrow, Tuesday, that's today, is the official 20th anniversary of the release of maybe the most important comic book movie of all time, The X-Men. I know you've talked about it before, but can you reflect a little on the movie and its place in cinematic history? I can't believe it's been 20 freaking years years all right thanks a lot for sending that in frank and yeah double check your watches we talked about this on shows the other day that it was coming up but today july 14th 2020 is the 20th anniversary of the july 14th year 2000 release of the film x-men and i like the way you put it in the message that it's probably the most important film in comic book movie history and i actually wholeheartedly agree that X-Men is, I'm not saying it's the best comic book movie ever made. Don't, don't misinterpret me. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying it is the most, I'm not saying it's the best comic book movie ever made, not by a long shot, but it is simply the most important. When you look at what happened, you have to go back, Rob, and I know you reflect on this a lot. You have to go back to 1999 and you have to remember and understand the 
context and the situation and this and, and the condition the comic book movie genre was in. It was not great at that point. They had had some greatness earlier, but by the time, you know, once you got past Batman and Robin and, and all this kind of stuff, you entered, there was a number of years where it struggled. You, you had the odd little thing like Blade. Blade, I think maybe made like $130 million worldwide total. Uh, it wasn't that influential of a film, but it was, I love, personally, I love Blade. I, particularly I do too. love. I particularly love Blade 2, but it really it was it was still standard comic book kind of movie fare with an R R edge to it. Then came X-Men. And X-Men came out and made a comic book movie in a way that comic book movies had never been done. And I would argue that the kind of template that X-Men laid down in 2000 is the template that the golden age of comic book movies, which we are living in right now, continue to follow to this day. They continue to follow to this day. And I'll never forget, the reason why I agree with the statement that X-Men is probably the, the most important uh, of the comic book films ever made, is I still remember uh, hearing and listening to uh, Dark Knight producer Charles Roven who is a big producer for DC and Warner Brothers. He's produced a lot of, he's included, he's included as a producer on the upcoming Snyder Cut as well. But Dark, Dark Knight uh, producer Charles Roven talking about X-Men from 2000 and talking about how it was that time. And Rob, we've talked about this before, but how he discussed how it was when that movie came out and we, talking about him and other Hollywood executives, when we saw that movie, that the light bulb went off, that Oh my God, you can make comic book movies like this. You can make comic book movies that both embrace the pop cultural icons that they are, but also apply sound, deep, important uh, characteristics of proper filmmaking, good narrative, deep storylines, uh, you know, developed characters, blah, blah. You can do that all in the same movie. And it was at that point that Charles Roven said, for all of us in Hollywood, that was the moment that we realized that this comic book genre could be something so much more. Now, another producer by the name of Laura Ziskin, she was a producer, uh, the producer on the uh, Sam Raimi 2002 Spider-Man movie. And I remember her talking about the fact that, you know, we understood we were already in development of Spider-Man when X-Men came out. We were already in development. But Laura Ziskin says, but when we saw that X-Men movie, we realized the bar really has changed. The game is now different. It's a completely different field of play now, now that this X-Men movie came out. And one of the other really big key ways that it did that was it wasn't just that opening scene, which, which again, the opening scene of X-Men is still to this day, I contend, the greatest opening scene of any comic book movie ever, period. And stop. Probably that'll never change. Where you had a comic book movie starting in this gray, rainy German concentration camp where they're about to drag off a, a bunch of Jews to the gas chamber, separating a young boy who would later become Magneto from his parents as he screams out in agony. And in his rage, the metal bends and all that kind of stuff. One of the most amazing things ever. But what it did was it introduced us, it did something that really no other comic book film had ever really done. It introduced us to a villain who was clearly the type of villain that would become a really good archetype moving forward, 
who we as the audience could have some empathy with and as a villain who saw himself clearly as the hero of the story. And as you get into X-Men, Robin, and you get into Magneto, you're realizing, I understand why he's feeling this way. He feels he's, he, he has a desire to save his people. And he has seen what humanity does to itself. He has seen what humanity does to his people. He has all this kind of stuff. And it was the first time, really, that we got a villain like that in a movie like this. And from that day forward, our understanding of what comic book movies are completely changed. Now, you could talk about, you know, the original Christopher Reeve Superman movie as and its importance. The 1989 uh, Tim Burton Batman movie, yes. But the reason why I believe X-Men takes that spot is because according to the, to the Hollywood executives and Hollywood producers who have produced all these big comic book films, it was that X-Men film that kicked off the most successful age for a genre probably in the history of this industry. And again, I'm not saying it is the greatest comic book movie of all time. I'm not even sure. That I, no, I don't even have it in the top 10. It's a great movie, but I don't have it in the top 10 best comic book movies of all time. But its importance can simply not be overstated. Anyway, Rob, we are sitting here now at 20 years, <laughs> 20 damn years since that X-Men movie debuted um, what are your thoughts on the film and how do you look at it in terms of its place in comic book movie history? Well, first of all, I think to, to, to continue on with what you were saying, one of the marvelous things about X-Men one is not only is it grounded in a certain reality from the very beginning, but Brian takes all of these at Brian Singer, the director takes all of these outlandish concepts. I mean, if you think about all the characters in the movie, <laughs> you have Sabretooth, you have Toad, you know, you've got Wolverine and Storm and all the X-Men and but all these crazy the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. It it's crazy pulp, goofy sci-fi comic book stuff that if it wasn't handled correctly, the tone of the movie could have been wildly different. You needed somebody and and Brian came in as the director, like he wasn't particularly attached to the comics he he watched the animated series but he brought a seriousness to all of it but not so it was oppressively serious i mean toad still used his tongue you know and sabertooth was still sabertooth and he embraced sort of the pulp nature of it but made a serious science fiction film really there's this great crazy science fiction plot you know magneto's going to turn everybody into mutants on liberty island and it's it's a crazy pulpy sci-fi movie that could have been goofy as heck but it's not and like you said john it sets the tone and it opened the door without x-men you couldn't have put iron man thor and captain america on screen together you you it, it sort of gave uh, a direction with which to follow in terms of how do you make a comic book movie work and how do you make it work for modern audiences? How do you make it work for all people? Can adults go to these movies or is it just for little kids? I'll tell you a funny story. As you might know, I, I produced both the X-Men uh, and X-Men 2 special features for the for the DVD release, now the Blu-ray release. And producer Lauren Schuler Donner, who's Dick Donner's wife, she produced the movie. She didn't even go to the premiere 
because she was so convinced. They had a huge premiere on on the Liberty Island where the Statue of, the Statue of Liberty is. Huge premiere there. And she didn't go because she was convinced the movie was going to fail. She thought that Brian's approach to it was not the correct one. I'm sure she won't tell you that now. But when I was doing the, the documentaries, that's what I found out. And even she told me she thought it wasn't going to work and that the approach was too dour and it was too serious because she had this idea that we're making a comic book movie. Not knowing what Brian had really done was distill how do you make a comic book movie for modern audiences that can be taken serious and yet still have the fun of a comic book. I, I mean, even the way they introduced Wolverine, you know, but cage fighting in a bar and with a bunch of good Canadian kids up in Alberta somewhere, you know, that was an audacious way to inter uh, introduce Wolverine. And the fact that, you know, you see Rogue for the first time manifesting her powers when she's trying to kiss a boy in Louisiana. I mean, it's it, it was done in such a way that that it really brought an adult uh, importance to what could have been. You know, there's still a lot of people at the time that are like, well, comic books don't have to. Appear. They're just for kids. Right. Well, no. And X-Men yeah. prove that. Like the kitty concentration camps in Germany. Right, yeah. right, right. And it was an audacious way to do – I mean, that movie, X-Men 1, I really like it. And yeah, they didn't have the effects budget they have now. But And the plot, Magneto's plot's pretty goofy. But it all works. It all is very cool. I, I, I really like the, uh, Bruce Davidson plays a senator in the film and what happens yeah. to him. And and it's it's pretty horrific. And they did a, a really good job. And, and I have to say, Brian did a really good job casting, getting Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart to anchor that film as Xavier and Magneto was a genius move because they brought a gravitas to that movie that that worked that first scene when when you meet magneto at the conference and patrick stewart and they they talk to one another and and it's like we're man, the future charles not them i, I mean oh, see so you remember so that you were you into you, you you do the cadence of his voice i mean it was so yeah. important and and you're you're you can quote it 10 20 years later it's so good but a trivia question for you what happens to a toad when it gets hit by lightning rob same thing that happens to everything else. <laughs> you still can't help but roll your eyes a little bit when you hear that line. But, but yeah, yeah that's, 20 that, yeah. years, guys. It has been 20 years to today, the 20th anniversary of, honest, not the best, but the I think, honestly, the most important comic book movie. I don't think we have a DCEU today. If, at least if you listen to Charles Roven, I, I don't think we have a DCEU today. I don't think we have an MCU today. I think the world of comic book films looks a lot different. Could we, we have gotten there eventually? Probably. But I, I honestly do think probably the most important film in comic book movie history. Anyway, guys, 20th anniversary of this film. What do you think about it turning 20? How do you look at it in terms of its historical significance? Jump down into the comment section below and let me know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down... Let's jump into our fifth and final main topic today. And our fifth and final main topic today gets submitted to us by Shannon Dwayne, who writes, I've heard you mention that you're not a big fan of most Netflix original movies. This is true, although I, I did just really like uh, like The Old Guard. But, uh, but one of my favorite movies the last few years was their Bird Box flick with Sandra Bullock. 
Wondering if you saw that they're developing a sequel. I'm really excited because I thought the end of their first one was wide open for another chapter. Do you think they'll get Bullock back or tell the story from another character's point of view? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And yeah, Bird Box is every once in a while, there's a movie comes out on Netflix that gets some buzz. And Bird Box was definitely one of those films that they... Netflix actually did promote and push. We were all aware of it coming out, which isn't isn't normal for a Netflix property, but they promoted it very well. A lot of people were looking forward to it. And you know what? Well, I didn't love it the way a lot of people loved it. I still thought it was quite good. It's one of those rare original Netflix movies that I go, yeah, I'm glad I saw that. That was pretty good. And you guys, of course, remember how it ended for those of you who've seen it. Anyway, the writer of the original thing, he was asked about the possibility of them doing another one, and he said this. This is Josh uh, Mailerman who writes, I can't say much, but I can say that it is in development, them doing a sequel to uh, Bird Box. Sometimes it's weird, all this secrecy, but hey, I'm game. So yeah, it does look indeed like they are doing another uh, installment of Bird Box, which honestly, when you look at the history, Rob, of... Netflix original films. It's not a great track record. They they certainly have some big wins, but they have far more terrible movies than they they do wins. When you look at that and you realize Bird Box was definitely one of their wins. That is definitely one of their wins. Oh yeah, for sure. And and it, and it's a story that sets up a really interesting world. That whole idea that the, if you see it, you know, like and and everybody's walking around blindfold. It's an interesting world and an interesting premise. And really, it didn't end with a lot of what I would call resolution. You know, the, the movie ends with a lot of stuff still going on. Still a very satisfying ending, though. Really, to me, it's it's one of those things, considering it's one of its most successful outings, making another one in a world that wide open seems to make common sense. I'll be honest, I'm actually kind of surprised we don't already have a Bird Box too. Anyway, Rob, you hear about this. What did you think about the first Bird Box, and what do you think about the idea of them following it up and doing another one? Well, I have to tell you, I bought that book when the book came out because I, I, it was before I knew nothing about that book. It was one of these things that I, I, I read the premise on. I go, that sounds good, you know. And I read the book and I thought it was interesting, and it, it surprised me how quickly it actually did get turned into a movie. It wasn't like a book that was written twenty years ago. But I, I look, I think a lot of people when it first came out, they're like, well, this is just like a quiet place, and I, I. I thought it was good. I mean, I thought it was really well made and uh, I I did enjoy it for what it was. And I, I was great central performances and it was suspenseful and tense and I got out of it what I wanted. And I thought, yeah, this is this is really good. And I'm I was hoping I mean, my whole thing is, I you know, I read a lot of books and I, I the fact that a, a an interesting, not necessarily a a huge smash of a best-selling book was turned into that kind of a movie. I'm like, I hope more of this happens because there's a lot of books I have on my bookshelf that I would love to see turned into movies like Bird Box. I mean, I think Netflix, like you said, it's definitely one of their crown jewels of, of Netflix original films. And I want to see more of it. And I'm all about bring on that sequel. I think it'd be pretty good. All right. Question here is, guys, is... What did you guys think of Bird Box and what do you think about them doing a sequel? Do you feel like now nah, they should have just left alone or you like me where you're like, I'm kind of surprised they haven't done a sequel already. Jump down to the comment section below and let me know 
your thoughts. All right, guys. With all that down, we're going to move in and start taking your live questions today. And once again, you can still slip in a live comment or question. Simply use the tip link in the top of the description of this video. Just click on that or enter it manually. StreamElements.com slash MovieBlogTV slash tip. You'll be getting your question on the show and supporting the channel at the same time. But for now... What we are going to do here is just take a two or three minute break, uh, gives ourselves a chance to wrestle vocal cords, stretch our legs, go refill our drinks, give you a chance to run and use the bathrooms yourselves. So hang tight with us, guys. Don't go anywhere. Rob and I will be right back. All right, guys, and we are back. Thank you so much for your patience and indulgence as we took a little bit of a break there. And now... Let's dive over and start taking your live questions. We're going to start things off here with anonymous viewer who writes in one of four. Which Disney do you think would be easier to make sympathetic? You probably mean Disney villain. Judge Frollo or Scar? I say Scar would be easier. Scar could have been a really nice guy and turned bad and could have had a chance at redemption. It's possible that Scar feels guilty about killing Mufasa uh, and is a heart and his heart in the right place, uh, but just goes about it the wrong way. Scar could have killed Mufasa as a baby, but he didn't. Uh, it's mission impossible with Judge Frollo. It's established that he's a narcissistic sociopath with no redeeming qualities. He'd also He's also a genocidal maniac slash mass murder, murdered Quasimodo's mom, and then tried to kill him when he was a baby. Uh, he basically wanted to sleep with Esmeralda. Yeah, I know she's hot, but she's significantly younger than him and only liked her looks and not who she was as a person. Uh, not to mention, he told nothing but lies to Quasimodo for 20 years. That's just me, though. Well, listen, Quasimodo, I, I mean, he is, Rob, I don't know uh, if you agree, but Quasimodo is a truly reprehensible, vile, evil character. But so Scar, like everything you just said about him was all theoretical. He could have been good once and his heart might. Well, you can say all that about Frollo. You could say, well, maybe at some point he was good. And maybe at some point he was at Scar. There is nothing redeeming about him. He was his heart was never in the right place. Both Frollo and Scar are all about Frollo and Scar. That's what they're all about. They're all about Scar. Scar has no concern for anything else. So I got to say, I think it would be a coin toss. Rob, do you think it'd be easier to make one of these more sympathetic than the others? Ooh, I, I think Quasimodo you could make more sympathetic because he didn't ask to be born into the world the way he was. No, no, no. He's talking about Judge Frollo. The oh, villain. Oh, like a, oh, yeah, not, oh, not Quasimodo oh, himself. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. No, no, they're both reprehensible. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, Scar it's all about ambition and what is it you want out of life, you know, and, and you're choosing to do evil, you know, you're choosing to do bad things because your, your, it's your innermost desires are, 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 are you want things that are not in the best interests of the community at large. They're all, they're all in the best interest of you, you know, and, and once you go down that path, can you ever be redeemed from it? And I, you know, at least, at least Scar was more upfront about what he wanted. Like, you know, he he didn't hide behind. I mean, Scar, his name's Scar. <laughs> you know, it's it's he's he's he, it's it, it's interesting. I I I I don't know. I like villains that embrace their villainy and know what they want, as opposed to knowing what they want but trying to hide behind something else behind their behind their position in life kind of a thing all right next up we've got 
Um, Daniel Christopher Perez, who writes, Greetings, Giovanni. I hope you're having a wonderful day, and I love the show. Thank you so much, Daniel. Uh, first time tipping to the show. Well, thank you for your support, man. We appreciate that. Uh, you are one of the nicest, thoughtful, and compassionate human beings in the world with a genuinely good heart. You are a blessing to the world. Ah, oh, dude, thanks so much. It's always nice when somebody wants to write in just to say something positive and nice. And I appreciate that deeply. And then thanks for supporting the channel. And thanks for being here and being a part of our community. And I really, you put a smile on my face, Daniel. Thanks so much for that, man. All right. Uh, next up, Alan tips in $20. Uh, and because you tipped in $20 or more, we're going to segment this out and put it up as its own video if there's a question here uh sometime in the next couple of weeks keep your eyes open for that uh alan writes hey john thanks for bringing back your show well hey it's good to be back question is about hulk uh is it inevitable that we see red hulk oh you actually asked this question yesterday too and it was answered on the companion video but we'll go through it again here is it inevitable that we see red hulk appear in the mcu with ross back and marvel seemingly leading uh leaning, leading towards a thunderbolts movie it seems likely maybe even gray hulk at some point well i mean look i what i mentioned on the show yesterday rob was like you know according to uh everything going on it doesn't sound like marvel has any plans right now for using hulk in any way shape or form now like, yeah, Grey Hulk or Mr. Fix-It, I, I think it was his nickname. I love Grey Hulk, by the way. I uh, did too. Red Hulk, Red Hulk technically is Thunderbolt Ross, but here's the thing. I, I think Disney still finds itself in that position that they have this whole very delicate walking on glass situation going on with Universal who have the distribution rights to anything Hulk related. So it limits what they can do. Mark Ruffalo has said they've nobody's discussed doing any more stuff with Hulk with him other than maybe doing a cameo of some sorts in She-Hulk. So I, I said yesterday, Rob, I think the chances that we get Red Hulk, not to mention on top of all that, Rob, Kevin Feige suddenly has an entire X-Men universe of 500 additional characters he just got his hands on, not yeah. to mention the Fantastic Four, not to mention whatever they're going to end up doing with Deadpool. I think the chances are not impossible, but I think the chances are probably low we get Red Hulk in any chance, anytime. What do you think? I, I think so, too, because, you know, when you start delving into single character storylines, it gets a little bit more difficult. And since they've never even made an individual, well, that's not true. They made the Incredible Hulk, but they since they've introduced Ruffalo, he hasn't had his own film, and, and he I can't think, because of the Universal right. thing. Yeah, and I and I think it 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 the Red Hulk becomes it's such a deep dive into the Hulk mythos. If there's a way they could, like, look, I was surprised we didn't get Beta Ray Bill in Ragnarok. You know, Beta Ray Bill to me is somebody who would show up in a in a Thor movie way before Red Hulk would show up in a Hulk movie. Um, but I, I never say never. But like you pointed out, there's so many other things that have to take precedence before we can get to the Red Hulk. I think the Red Hulk's way down on that list. All right, let's move on here. Thanks a lot for sending that in, Alan. Next up, Willow writes. Blue Valentine, what a great, heavy, heavy movie. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Gosling, Michelle Williams. Anyway, uh, Blue Valentine initially got an NC-17 for depicting a woman receiving oral sex, and Ryan Gosling argued at the same time that the same scene with a man would have gotten away with an R. He's wrong. Um, do you feel there's a bit more guard on female nudity than male? Well, I mean, the what's interesting, Willow, is that that scene in particular there is no nudity in that scene. You clearly see Ryan Gosling going down on Michelle Williams, but you don't, but the camera angles are as such that you don't actually 
see anything. You just you see what's going on, but you don't see anything explicit and you hear a lot of slurping sounds. Um, you're welcome for that description. Um, but but no, I think if the situation had been completely reversed, I think it would have been the same thing. I mean, it's it, Rob, it's an despite the fact that you don't directly see what's happening. It is a very explicit scene. Yes. So I, I disagree with Ryan. I don't think it would have been different had it been the other way around at all. It might have even been considered worse. I don't know. What do you think? Uh, it's no, it's it's explicit. I mean, and delightful. But I, <laughs> I, uh, I, I you, you can't when you start dealing with that depictions of, of that kind of thing. You know, there's still laws in the on the books in certain places. That's considered sodomy. So it's against the law too, but yeah, you can't do that. I don't think either way it's, 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 I don't think one is worse than the other. Like you said, both would have been dinged by the ratings board. All right, let's move on here. Next up, Luke one two three four writes. Uh, you don't believe Disney will remake episode seven through nine, no. Uh, but would you have a problem if they did? You say you don't have a problem with remakes because you still have the originals. And if the new sequel trilogy is better than the one we got, isn't that a win for us fans? No. Look, what you're saying is a completely different thing. Listen, every, I've always said because whenever I say I'm totally cool with remakes, somebody says, "Well, you wouldn't be cool if they remade Star Wars." Actually, yes, I would. People are shocked when I say that. The one caveat to that is, though, your current Star Wars has to end. You end your current Star Wars stuff that you're doing. And if you then want to reboot Star Wars, I'm all for it. Because if it sucks, I still have the original Star Wars. If it's great, then yay, we got new Star Wars. So if they want to stop Star Wars and reboot all of Star Wars, including 7, 8, and 9, that's great. That's fine. That makes sense. I have no problem with that. What doesn't make any logical sense at all is the idea of taking what is still having Star Wars in its continuity going on while cherry picking out a couple of episodes and saying, oh, we're going to reboot that. That's idiotic. That's that's just idiotic. Not to mention the three of those films were all billion dollar films and a couple of them are really good. One, not so much. But but they're all billion-dollar films. One of them is even a $2 billion film. You don't take out one part and say, we're just going to reboot that. That makes no sense. And listen, by the way, people have asked me, because everybody knows I hate the prequels. People have asked me, hey, don't you think they should re- reboot the prequels? And I'm like, no. Even though, but John, you hate the prequels. I know I hate the prequels. But no, you don't touch them. Because they're canon. And as long as the existing Star Wars continuity is going on, you don't touch the prequels. It doesn't matter if I like them or not. You don't touch them. Now, if they end Star Wars and they want to, like they're saying the current Star Wars continuity is done and finished, great. Go ahead. Reboot it. Start by rebooting the prequels. Then reboot the the original trilogy. Then reboot, you know, 7, 8, 9. I'm all for it. Don't care. But you got to end the existing continuity. You do that, fine. Otherwise, it's just moronic. It's just an absolutely moronic idea. So I don't know, Rob, what do you think about that idea of of stopping Star Wars and rebooting just a couple of episodes while the rest of Star Wars goes on? I have to put my face like me. Like you pointed out, no one's going to do that. That uh, Look, just because a lot of the fan contingent and we're, we're going to be arguing over movies like Last Jedi, I think, for the rest of my lifetime. It still made $1.3 billion. All three of the movies, well, while there's a little bit of diminishing returns, made over a billion dollars. Those are epic wins. And The Force Awakens made $2 billion. 
So why would anybody – I mean it, it's a business. And from a business perspective, those movies did very, very well. Now, people can talk about – everyone's like, well, what about the merchandising, Robbie? You know, the, the, the toys didn't sell. Well, that's a whole different kettle of fish. But the Star Wars franchise is still healthy. And those movies uh, made a lot of money. So why would you possibly – why would anybody think that they would reboot those films? I just don't understand the thinking. I mean it's like could, uh, fans, we've, we've brainwashed ourselves into thinking something like that would happen. That's just not how the economic realities of Hollywood work. You don't sit there. Hollywood's not going, well, we have to remake these movies because they didn't make enough money. No, they made uh, – making a billion dollars is a win. They made it's never four, gonna happen. Four billion dollars in three films. Over four, four billion, billion. Dollars in three films. Not to mention another billion with Rogue One. You know, I, and 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 it's 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 like and the Mandalorian, Disney Plus, the, the, Star Wars is still a license to print money as long as you know as long as they do it right. Now here, and, here's, uh, now granted, it's it's not an apples to apples comparison. I acknowledge that, but if you want to have like a stunning thing, the Star Wars sequels. Episode seven, eight, and nine make more money on a per film average than Kevin Feige's MCU films do. Granted, one is twenty plus films, one is three. Just throwing that out there, something to keep in mind. Um, anyway, okay, we got to move on here. But yeah, but in general, Luke, one, two, three, four, you stop Star Wars and say, okay, this Skywalker saga is done. We're ending Star Wars, and then five or six years from now, you want to reboot Star Wars, including seven, eight, nine. I'm all for it. I'm all for it because if it sucks, I still got the originals. If it's good, then yay, we have some new films. So anyway, that's my thoughts on that. All right, next up. Timbula the Spider Monkey writes, I can't believe we are still talking about the Disney Plus Splash thing. The only thing I'm even vaguely interested in is if Ron Howard uh, has had anything to say about it. Uh, do we know? Does he even care? He doesn't care. Uh, would that change your mind if he did? No, it wouldn't change my mind if he did. Again, the whole Splash thing was them extending CGI to cover her ass. While Daryl Hannah's ass is something that should never be covered, but um, them extending her hair CGI did nothing to change the movie in any way, shape, or form. Like I was saying yesterday, Rob, that, you know, uh, Wolverine's dropping an F-bomb in like Days of Future Past, that actually speaks to his character. Like him drop, as silly as it sounds, him dropping an F-bomb, I would argue actually gives us a little bit of insight into his character and an understanding of, of who and what his character is. So, well, I thought they would have taken out his F-bomb. I absolutely thought they would have taken out his F-bomb when they brought Days of Future Past over to Disney+. Plus. Them leaving it in, you know what? You can make an argument that him saying that word speaks directly to his nature and to his character, and to remove it might actually change a little bit our understanding of the character. Extending out CGI hair did nothing to change it. So, no, Ron Howard doesn't care and number two uh, even if he did have a thought on it it wouldn't change my opinion of it uh but uh, rob we've been talking about the splash thing forever but well did you, you know go well, ahead in, in days of future past you see hugh jackman's ass too yeah we talked about that on the show yesterday yeah i mean and and uh you know i'm a straight man but he's got a great ass i mean you gotta <laughs> you gotta uh it's it's gotta tip uh, the hat. Very, very well toned but it's it's funny when you know, I do wonder about policy when there's two very different things going on. And you have to ask yourself, is it just because nobody realized there's Hugh Jackman's bare ass or that he says the F word in the movie? And, uh, you know, 
I mean, can you imagine some seven-year-old kid watches Days of Future Past and starts using the F word, and his mother's like, where did you hear that? Well, I heard it. Yeah, Wolverine said it on, on Disney+. Plus. I can't wait till they, they, they get that from a parent because they will. Somebody yeah. will. And, but I wonder, like, I always wonder about the standards and practices. What is, what is your policy? Where does it begin and where does it end? And I don't think they know. Well, I don't I mean, think they know. One of the things I said on the show yesterday, I think there's a couple of possibilities because I was really surprised because I, I thought for sure they would edit that stuff out if they put it on Disney Plus, uh, the X-Men Days of Future Past. I think there are a couple of things to look at. And I mentioned this on yesterday's show. Number one is they could be looking at Splash. Listen, Splash is a straight up family film. You can't make that argument for X-Men Days of Future Past. Splash no. is you take out that bare ass. This is a sit the kids down. Everybody, this is a family film. All we got to do is CGI out some hair. Days of Future Past. It's a very strong PG-13 movie. So there's that argument. I, there's also an argument to be made that, again, maybe the stuff that they left in speaks to the nature of the film. Also, I mean, hey, maybe Disney looked at their situational splash and thought, you know what? We didn't need to do that. So let's not do that anymore. So I, a lot of different possibilities. All right. We, we're falling behind. So we got to keep going here. Uh, David Dilks writes. I still disagree with you about Star Wars Episode Nine. I say Ray was always going to be a Palpatine. All right, let me stop you right there, David. You can think that all you want. The fact is, she was never meant to be a Palpatine. J.J. Abrams has explicitly said that. Uh, Daisy Ridley has explicitly revealed that that was always communicated to her that Ray was supposed to be a nobody right from day one on her first day on set. This it's not a matter of opinion. It is a actual fact. Ray was never meant to be a Palpatine. That's just a fact. So you can feel that way if you like, but the cast, crew, and creators have all basically definitively said, yeah, the plan was for Ray to come from no lineage. J.J. Abrams actually expressed how it was important that she not come from some kind of lineage. And anyway, so let's go on with your question here. I say Ray was always going to be a Palpatine because she is so powerful without training. That's the force. That's not training. Uh, Snoke was always going to be worthless. Neither Leia nor for Force... Force ghost Mace Windu tried to arrest Snoke or Kylo. I'm not quite sure where you're going with that. At any point in the story, Kylo had to be redeemed. Kylo smiling at Vader while stormtroopers danced with evil Ewoks uh, would have been a bad ending rhyme. Uh, I always thought finishing Vader's work meant turning Leia to the dark side. I don't think that... that I No, I don't think there's anything in the movies to suggest that him thinking finishing Vader's work was turning Leia to the dark side because he never once tried to engage with Leia. Like if his life mission, grandfather, I will finish with you started turning Leia to the dark side. Number one, that was never Vader's mission. He thought that for two minutes before he died. Uh, number two, there's nothing in the movies that show that at all that shows Kylo at any point, even try to communicate with his mother. So that's not really, uh, there as well. So I, I don't know. I mean, listen, we can all have our theories. I got some pretty far out there theories about different things, but I don't know. I, I just don't think any of the stuff that you're kind of pointing out there has anything in the movies themselves to court sort of give it some underpinning. You know what I mean? Um, so I, yeah, I'm not really sure about that, but Hey man, listen, I got some theories too, David. So thanks for sharing yours. All right. Next up a uh, steadfast shortstop writes. My question is about Terminator franchise. Was it a mistake in Terminator 2 that they carried forward with sequels when shapeshifters first appeared naked but can form liquid clothes and don't wear real clothes, or was this done on purpose? I have no idea what it is you're asking. Was it a mistake in Terminator 2 that they carried forward with sequels? 
when shapeshifters first appeared naked but can form liquid clothes that don't wear real clothes or rob do you know what it is uh steadfast well, I think, is asking I think, what, I think what he's saying is in terminator 2 we see that the t-1000 <laughs> comes back as a as a physical being because you have to be you have to be covered in flesh in order to time travel but then you know in the first terminator the first thing the terminator does give me your clothes and in terminator 2 the t-1000 can make his own clothes as part of his shape-shifting ability like he doesn't have to go out and get clothes to wear and they kept that moving forward they kept that conceit and i if that was a mistake or not i, I mean i don't necessarily think that is necessarily a mistake uh, i think it's kind of odd it's just an extra level of like i would have thought that you know i guess if you're a shapeshifter you can turn into a creature and their clothes, which is kind of weird, you know, and then you figure once you're locked into that, you have to move forward through all the other movies. So your shape-shifting mm. Terminators don't wear clothes. They create their own clothes. <laughs> I mean, right, it's, actually, that makes it sense. is an interesting conceit, though. It's kind of weird that they decided to go that direction. Especially right. when the Terminator himself, the first thing that was very humorous is that he had to find clothes. Right. Yo, clothes. Give them to me. Um, all right. Let's move on here. Next up, the Wonder One writes, regarding not censoring Days of Future Past, could another possibility be simply thinking of male and female nude scenes differently when it comes to rating? I don't know about, about uh, I don't know about you, but I'm a straight woman and I find the female behind sexier. LOL. Seriously, though, thoughts. Well, here's the problem. I had some people yesterday writing in saying, well, it's because they value male nudity and female nudity different. Here's the problem with that. The problem with that is you're completely ignoring the other giant elephant in the room, the F-bombs, right? So, like, to say, well, the reason they censored Splash but not X-Men is because they don't worry about male nudity like they do female nudity. Okay, but you're completely leaving out a major, major part of the question. They didn't take out the F-bombs either. Like, I would say that there would be more to that, Wonder One, um, if... They left in Hugh Jackman's bare ass, but took out his F-bombs, right? So if they took out his F-bomb, but left in his ass, then yeah, the question becomes, oh, well, how? then it's just a matter of male ass versus female ass. But they didn't take out the F-bombs either. So that means it wasn't about male or female. It was about this movie, we needed to take something out, but this movie, we didn't. Because of the natures of the film. So I don't think it was a male and female thing. If it was, they would have taken out the F-bombs left in the ass. Instead, they actually left in him dropping an F-bomb, which is even more surprising to me. Rob, do you think it's more of a male-female thing? Or, or do, you, do you think that it's the F-bomb complicates it? Or I don't know. How do you see it? I think the F-bomb does complicate it. That kind of language does. Um, but I also think, you know... Male and female, I, I think we definitely still live in a sort of a strangely puritanical culture. And and this idea that, that in a way, female nudity will incite men to do things that they can't control themselves to do. And that isn't necessarily the same thing when the reverse is true. Like when you, when, when you see a naked Hugh Jackman, you know, people aren't going to be like compelled. Men aren't going to be – well, some might, but aren't going to be compelled to go – crazy you know we still have this idea that the female form is somehow sacred and i mean we can't even women in the united states can't even breastfeed in public without people freaking out 
and literally using what breasts are for to feed their offspring. So we're we're really weird about nudity. We, we're strange about it. Uh, and, you know, language, too. The F-bomb is the one – if you say the word – well, use the F-bomb in a sexual context, that's an immediate R rating. You can get away with saying it if it's not in – like like in um, first class when Xavier right. and, and, and you have the F-bomb there. Go F yourself, no, yeah. No R rating because – it's it's he's telling him just to go away, basically. And it's um, it, we're just weird, man. We are weird. But there is definitely a double standard when it comes to male and female nudity, coupled with using an F word, especially around kids. Problematic. All right. Next up, Charles writes, who sends in a $20 tip. Thank you so much for that, Charles. If there's a question here, we'll segment it out and put up as its own video in the next couple of weeks. Um, hi, John. What if Star Wars 1977 had bombed? What would film and popular culture be like today without the influence of Star Wars? Could have another film released during the same period have filled the void in our culture? Thank you, Charles. Um, it's it's a big question. Listen, Star Wars. I mean, there was there was Jaws, for sure, but Star Wars was that first movie. And, and you can watch documentaries about this. And Rob, I know you you remember seeing stuff like this too. It was the first movie that truly ushered in the blockbuster. Yeah. You know, it was the movie that had audiences lined or it became a pop cultural craze and all that kind of stuff and became, you know, you talk to a lot of filmmakers of a certain generation today, Robin, they're all saying, oh, yeah, the thing that got me in the movie is Star Wars. You know, it would another film eventually have come along to fill that space? Probably. Yeah, Probably. But Star Wars was the one that kind of ushered in that entire era of what we now know as the blockbuster era, you know. And also uh, effects know, technology. What would happen if it? What, what would happen if it failed? What would happen if Star Wars failed? God, you know. Well, first of all, effects technology was greatly the the Dijkstra Flex camera, motion control work. It was the really beginning of a renaissance of, of visual effects that we're still feeling even today, you know, at the beginnings of ILM. But man, if Star Wars failed, dude, I don't think that anyone would have made a big budget. I mean, you wonder if Star Wars failed, would Alien have been made? Mm, right. You know, and, and if Star Wars failed, I do I, I, I don't know. I mean, Star Wars is really a pivotal, pivotal, a pivotal watershed moment in in film history. And it was a, a perfect storm of, of events. I mean, who would have thought that George Lucas coming off of American Graffiti would have made Star Wars? I mean, it's crazy. And yeah, the American I, graffiti guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it it, it would have the our last fifty years of film or forty years of filmmaking would look very different without Star Wars. And I think that one of the things that Star Wars did, despite the movie itself, you know, the seventies was a pretty dour. I mean, if you think about the big movies that were being made, everything from stuff like Dog Day Afternoon to The Conversation to The Godfather to Network. I mean, Jaws was escapist fare, but the 70s were really the post-Vietnam movies were really serious. Star Wars, it wasn't just Star Wars, but Star Wars ushered in a whole new era of fun in movie theaters, you know, where people could go and real escapist entertainment that still, again, resonates with us today. If we hadn't had that movie come out when it did, we might still be watching dour movies and that our escapist entertainment would not be where it is. And and I think 
Star Wars even changed our entire culture, not just movies, but uh, it was it suddenly became okay to dream again and for for adults to be in touch with their childhood. You know, I, my childlike sense of wonder was brought back because of Star Wars. And that was something in the 70s where life was so real coming out of the 60s with civil rights and the sexual liberation of, of people because of the pill and all that. It was, you know, big deal. All right, let's move on here. Wolverine's Butt writes, Welcome back to the John Campy Show. Thank you, Wolverine's But Regarding your X-Men Days Future Past segment from Monday, I think number three was the best reasoning. In our current media landscape, dozens of people who have never even uh, seen the movie in question will still make videos crying about censorship. That's a lot of negative attention, and Disney doesn't need it. Uh, and I think they knew they'd get uh, so much more flack, uh, they would have just left the splash scene untouched. On the other hand, I think number two was your weakest reasoning the idea that Disney considered the F-bomb crucial to the scene uh, in first class. Logan says, go F yourself in Days of Future Past. This line is referenced as F off since the writers uh, fucked up their own callback anyway. Uh, it wouldn't have been a stretch to change to say piss off. I, I don't know. I think there's actually more to that than you think. Honestly, I think out of the four possible reasons I presented uh, on yesterday's show about why they chose to leave days of future past as it was whereas they chose to extend daryl hannah's hair honestly i think the most likely one is actually reason number one which was disney strictly looks at splash as a pure family film you know whereas x-men days of future past is not so i, I think you know what i really thought rob that they could have done i really thought what they could have done was since it's Disney and they own it, I really right. thought they could have put X-Men Days of Future Past on Disney Plus with the F-bomb taken out and then also put it on Hulu with it as is. Right. So that, you know, the point you brought up earlier, which I think is a really good one, is that, you know, Disney's going to get is going to have to field some angry emails and angry phone calls from parents saying, Hey, I put, I put Billy down in front of Disney Plus. I thought I was safe to do that. And you're showing this and people are saying the F word and blah, blah, blah. What the hell's going on? I actually thought there was a possibility they may put that on Disney Plus just with those things taken out and have it up on Hulu as it was. Yeah. But but uh, I don't know. If you, had to, if you had to narrow it down to one reason, Rob, why you think they did the touch up on Splash, but they didn't do it on X-Men, what would you narrow it down to say the one probable reason is? Well, I, you know, the only reason I can think of is is that we are supposed to oogle her. You know, you're you're it, 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 she's hot, she's beautiful, and you are. It is sexualized. You're even though she's an innocent mermaid and all that, it's still cheesecake. It's still like look at that beautiful naked girl going back into the water. Whereas in the case of Wolverine. It's more of a practical thing. You know, he wakes up back in time and he gets up out of bed because he's sleeping naked. There's nothing really sexualized about it, even though whenever we see people nude on film, there, there is an element of sexualization there. Um, but I, I think that's kind of it. I, I think that, again, uh, it's just a different thing. We look at male and female nudity differently. We just do, even though that's dumb. But we do. <laughs> All right. Uh, next up, uh, wear a goddamn mask, writes. Kobe and Gigi's death, a pandemic, 40 million unemployed, racial division at its highest, careless leadership through it all. And on top of it, uh, instead of Tenet, Wonder Woman 84, and, and Black Widow, we get Birds of Prey, Artemis Fowl, and Doolittle. When will 2020... 
for me. When will 2020 end? I'll tell you what, Rob, I was actually in the car and I listen to podcasts and sports talk radio when I'm in the car and listens to her music. And this song came up while we were driving around a couple of days ago. And the name of the song was simply because it comes up on the display in the car. The name of the song, the name of the song was F 2020. And the whole song was about F2020. But I like, let me read that again the way you got it. Instead of Tenet, Wonder Woman 84, and Black Widow, we get Birds of Prey, Artemis Fell, and Doolittle. When will 2020 end? I feel your pain, man. I feel your pain. All right, Murray Reich writes, I saw Palm Springs. I still haven't seen that, but I want to. I heard it's really good. I saw Palm Springs. It was a really charming movie. Not the best film of 2020, in my opinion, but Andy Samberg's performance was so damn good. Your traditional time-day loop movie, but with a twist. It has a lot of laughs, but also heart. I recommend. Makes you feel good. Yeah, there were three movies that came out this weekend uh, on streaming on different platforms. We had uh, Palm Springs on Hulu. We had The Old Guard on Netflix, and we had uh, Greyhound on Apple+. Plus. I was actually a little bit disappointed in Greyhound. I really enjoyed The Old Guard, and I haven't watched Palm Springs yet, but I heard it's quite good, even if it is a little bit of a Groundhog Day ripoff. I've heard it's actually quite good. Rob, did you have a chance to see uh, to see either Palm Springs or uh, or Greyhound? No, but I want to see both. And I've heard, you know, I've heard mixed things about Greyhound, and I, I find that interesting. People either really liked it or they didn't like it very much. And Palm Springs, I love time loop stories. I love time loop stories, and it looks just, it really looks great. And and everybody loved it when it was at Sundance, so I'm excited to see it. Yeah, and I've heard nothing but good things about it. So I, I'm kind of stoked to see it too. All right, Murray Reich writes, the Redskins logo really just retired before Adam Vinatieri. Yep, I never thought that would have happened, but it's true. It's crazy. All right, Murray Reich also writes, fun fact. Only two quarterbacks have beaten both Tom Brady and Peyton Manning in the playoffs. Their names are Joe Flacco and Mark Sanchez. True fact. Now, it's also you got to remember, Mark Sanchez didn't play against Tom Brady. They were never on. That's that's why I always laugh about quarterback v quarterback head to head matchups because they were never on the field at the same time. Tom Brady and uh, Joe Flacco, Mark Sanchez and uh, Peyton Manning were never on the field at the same time. But it is a really good trivia sports trivia question. That's a really good sports trivia question to keep in your pocket. All right. Brandon writes. Hey, John. Love the show. Thank you so much, Brandon. I was just wondering. How is everything going with Chris Carr and what is the timetable for her returning to the show? If she is returning, if she is returning to the show, thanks for everything uh, uh, you do to provide to the fandom. You know, it's fun. I'm glad you mentioned her because she just emailed me like two days ago and I totally forgot to get back to her. I need to get back to her. Um, anyway, uh, there is no timetable right now for Chris coming back. You know, one of the big things is I'm not having more than like. Uh, we did have two people in the studio here once and it was great, but that we've had spikes in COVID, um, you know, and Chris has not been able to properly quarantine because her husband has to go to work around a lot of people come back. And so right now there's no timetable at the moment. Oh, you'll, she'll be back. Chris will be back. Make no mistake. But right now with the situation being as it is, um, we don't have any timetable for it at the moment, but thank you for asking about her. I right, love next up, Chris, by the way. Isn't she great? I, I, she's she just, great. I, dude, I remember I, when I put out a casting call for somebody to come in, I had interviewed a bunch of people that day. And I think Chris might've been the last person I interviewed. And she came in and was in there for like five minutes. And I'm like, I've got to be on a show with this girl. Like she's just, she's got, not only is she really knowledgeable, 
but and she's especially knowledgeable in the fringe areas that I'm not as knowledgeable. Like she knows anime inside out and backwards and all this kind of stuff. And she's just got like this dynamite on camera personality. And I just like instantly I was taken with her. I'm like, yeah, oh yeah, I gotta do a show with you. It's uh she's just delightful. All right. Uh next up, double crit rights. One of two. When I heard you talk about Greyhound, it reminded me of my experience with Dunkirk. I felt that movie was all flash with no real story. And not only did I not like it, I straight up think it's not good. Just curious how you would compare the two. I, um, well, it's also, I know, well, that's a totally separate question. Um, I thought Dunkirk was a very good movie and I thought it had a lot of narrative. Yeah, it too. wasn't told in a traditional way. You know, it wasn't told in a traditional way. But I was really impressed with that movie. I, I thought it was quite good. Dun, uh, or Greyhound, again, there was no story. It just, the movie starts, it's one big prolonged naval battle sequence, and then the movie ends. And there was no narrative, there's no story. Um, what it did, it did really well. But anyway, that's, so that's kind of my comparison of the two. Double Crit also writes, also, I know film is subjective, but I think we can make a distinction between films we don't personally like versus films we actually think are bad, not necessarily, uh, by film standards. In that sense, I think Dunkirk is an example of the Emperor's New Clothes fable. Well, I mean, look, and this is what it always comes down to for me, Robin, and my opinion on this changes from year to year, but it's like, you know, movies are experiential events. They're experiential events. When you go into a movie, you're going for an experience. Whether that experience is to laugh, to think, to cry, to be to be scared, to be thrilled, to feel uh, to feel heart and warmth or or whatever, movies need to deliver an experience. And I don't know. See, I always believe that there is a difference between a movie you like and a movie that you think is good. I'm not so sure I believe that anymore. I, I really don't. If for you. If a movie delivers that experience, that's the bottom line. I mean, that that's that's it, period, end stop. I don't care how good the cinematography is. I don't care, you know, if if there's no spelling mistakes in the, in the credits. I don't care about any of this stuff. At the end of the day, when the movie ends and I stand up from my seat, did I get that experience? Did you deliver that experience? Whatever type of experience you're trying to deliver. And to me, if that is what the movies are, experiential events that are made to make you think or feel or laugh or cry or, or whatever their experience is trying, can you separate that from did it accomplish its mission for you? So I don't know. I go back and forth on it, Rob. I really do. I go back and forth. So I don't know. What do you think about that? Well, I, I think I I – uh, you know, we always talk about the objectivity and the subjectivity of of movies, but I think you're absolutely right about that, because you know, certain things mean different things to each individual, and some people are more affected by stories about of some kind of, say, you love animal stories, you know, so you're more affected, you're you're just more susceptible to the charms of an animal story than say someone else is. So there are certain things inherent in stories that are going to make you relate more. Uh, for whatever reason than other people do to certain things. And that's what makes everybody different. And and I think that you can't – if if I, like I have a lot of movies that mean something to me, a lot to me. And people will say, why do you love that movie so much? You know, and I, I can't really explain why. It's just there's a confluence of things that I'm particularly interested in that all mix together in this frothy confection that I happen to like. And other people look at it and go – it's not that good of a movie, dude. But I'm like, no, I love this movie. And it's it's not wrong. 
they're not wrong. I'm not right necessarily, but there's just something unique to each person that sometimes movies can hit them differently. All right. Well said. All right. Next up, Mr. C. Savage writes, how's it going, John? Big fan from Ireland. Glad to see the show back. Thank you so much, Mr. C. Savage. Uh, what are some of your favorite films and TV shows for me? Uh, one Blade Runner, two Godfather, uh, two and three. There will be blood uh, in TV. One Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones and Mad Men. Well, I mean, like uh, everybody knows my all time favorite movies are the Star Wars films. So, yeah, there's that. I the to me, the best TV shows ever. My favorite TV shows of all time are number one the ronald d moore version of battlestar galactica that is that maintains this day my favorite show of all time and then in no particular order in the final two spots are uh, the stars series spartacus and fx's sons of anarchy uh so those are my three favorite shows and then in the movies very much the star wars films very much the star wars films thanks for asking man all right uh spartan x1 writes Hey, John, UFC on July 15th. Uh, look out for new fighter uh, Modestus Bukasakis. Uh, uh, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. I know who you're talking about, though. Uh, I used to train with him, really. He's a tough dude and a super nice guy. Uh, it's his first fight in the UFC. I've been a fan since the early AMC closet days. Thanks for the constant awesome shows. Well, yeah, well... Uh, again, I'm not. I've only read his name a thousand times, and I've seen him fight uh, before. Uh, Modestus, he was the light heavyweight champion of another of a smaller circuit fighting uh, uh, mixed martial arts fighting association. And by the way, he is not fighting the guy he's supposed to be fighting. Um, the guy he was originally supposed to fight uh, tomorrow got diagnosed with COVID nineteen. <laughs> Uh, before he ever got to Fight Island. So they had to replace the guy. So now he's facing another guy, and I'm trying to remember who it is he's facing at this point. I can't remember off the top of my head. But So now he's got to fight a guy in his UFC, de UFC debut, fighting a guy who he had not wasn't preparing for. It's a tall order. Your first fight, not the guy you were preparing for. Um, uh, he's, got a, he's got a current six-fight winning streak. Uh, which is good, but again, it's not against UFC-level talent, so it's going to be interesting. It's always neat to see these guys make their first UFC appearance, and I'll be watching with great uh, with great expectations. All right, next up, Simon Blakemore writes, Hey, John, yesterday you answered my question about Man of Steel, but you said you didn't get what I was asking. I, uh, I was uh, What I was asking, I was on about the scene where Zod says, Release the world engine as he attempts to start to terraform the Earth into Krypton. Uh, it always puzzled me why Zod would do this, when he had the same powers as Superman, what do you think? Well, actually, Simon, they actually address that in the movie. You know, Zod points out, listen, the Earth's atmosphere is torture. I'm not, I don't want future generations of Kryptonians to go through what you, Cal, had to go through as a kid and all that pain and torture and whatever. We're just going to recreate Krypton and it's in Krypton's atmosphere and we're going to reestablish the Kryptonian Empire here. So they actually did address that in the movie. Because I remember at one point I thought too, it was like, yeah, wouldn't you want to all be like Superman? But it, it made sense. They wanted that atmosphere. By the way, Rob, I will say this. As much as I love Man of Steel, the one thing that I didn't fully understand was that, you know, when Cal went into the Kryptonian ship in the Kryptonian atmosphere, it was, it, it, it was really hard on him. When Zod and everybody else came into Earth's atmosphere, they're nearly choked. But it, it it's not the atmosphere. It's the radiation of the yellow sun. And so, 
That that to me, as much as I love Man of Steel, I got Henry right here. That to me was always the big question mark. Is about well, it's it's not about the air you're breathing. It's about the radiation of the yellow sun. So that I always thought was a little bit of a thing. But I don't know how how did you see it? Did you see that as an inconsistency, or am I missing? Yeah, an no, I, I'm with you. I thought it was always a little kind of strange. I mean, yeah, it's always been the sun to me. You know, the yellow. The yellow sun, the ra- it's the radiation, whatever it does to the inside of a body or however it affects. I mean, I, I, I buy it. You know, it's one of those, those asks in science fiction that seems plausible to me. You know, you're born under a, a yellow sun. I mean, maybe not flying in all of his powers, but the, the radiation affecting your cells – because the Earth is bathed in that radiation all the time. I like that idea. That's what creates a Kryptonian. So I don't know why breathing a certain atmosphere would have much of an effect on you when you it's really radiation-based and how the, the cells process that energy that we get all the time. I, I like that. I've, I've always bought off on that. So, yeah, the atmosphere thing was a little wacky. Okay, we got time for just a couple more quick ones here with Rob. So here, Ryan Loner writes, At this point, I'm basically Hawkeye when it comes to Star Wars news. Don't give me hope. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> it, it feels like every couple of weeks we get a new Star Wars announcement, but we're not actually seeing a lot materialize right now. So I, I get where you're coming from on that, Ryan. I totally do. All right, Niagara Falls, one of my favorite places, writes... I saw a guy talked about Death Note anime series yesterday, and I completely agree with him how good it is. The movie is disappointing, but I can assure you the series is amazing. Please check the ratings and you will find out. Yeah, Rob, somebody yesterday brought up on the show uh, Death Note. Of course, they did a live action, uh, a live action version of it that I believe was a Netflix original yep. uh, movie. Not good. Uh, I, I, I was... I felt like it was really flat, whatever. But have you had a chance? Did you see the movie? And have you seen the anime series? And I what saw are your the movie thoughts and of I've seen, The animated series is really interesting. And, and it, it asks a lot of really compelling questions that I think that the movie kind of glossed over. I was, I was really looking forward to the movie. I think there's some good stuff in the movie, but it's, it, it doesn't all hold together. All right. Well, Rob. For now, we got to let you go. We know you've got a bunch of things to take care of. Thanks a lot. It's good to have you back again. And it's great in to the be meantime, back, John. In the meantime, where can people follow you and uh, all your adventures online? Well, you can find me. Sometimes I'm on and off Twitter, <laughs> but you can find me at Burnett RM. You can find me on Instagram at Robert Meyer Burnett and find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work, and my show, Rob Observations. All right, dude. We'll see you again tomorrow. Good to have you back, and we'll talk to you later, my friend. All right. I'll see you later. All right, guys, with that down, let's keep on going and keep well, – we still got about another uh, 20 minutes or so. Let's see if we can get through all the questions that we've got coming in here today. We're going to go next to Patrick Conway who writes, I just had a double feature of John Wick and Captain America Winter Soldier. Nice. The action in both those movies are just stunning, especially the highway fight uh, between Steve and Bucky. Yeah, that's a great scene. Also, I swear Cap and Widow kill way more uh, and way more brutally than John Wick does. I don't know about that. I, I, I don't know that there's a higher body count in Winter Soldier than there is in John Wick. There is a really, really big body count in John Wick. Um, and the old guard, now that I think about it. But huge, yeah, so I don't know about that. But that sounds like a, that's a tremendous double feature. John Wick and Winter Soldier, great double feature, dude. Well done. All right, next up, John McKinney writes, Unpopular opinion, I like X-Men Apocalypse better than Infinity War and Endgame. Hey, man, it's all subjective. I also think Apocalypse is a better villain than Thanos. X-Men Apocalypse wasn't perfect by any means, but it was a damn great movie to each their own. No, and exactly that's it, man. To each their own. 
like I was just talking about how movies are experiential events and we are all unique individuals. And that means a piece of art is going to hit you with a different emotional experience than the person standing next to you. Maybe it's a big difference. Maybe it's a tiny difference. I am personally not a big fan of X-Men Apocalypse. And I am a big fan of Endgame and, and Infinity War. I think Infinity War is better than Endgame, but what I like, I'm a big fan of both of them. But the key is you watch it, and for whatever reason, that movie, the way it was with these characters, including the Apocalypse character, it hit you that way, then you make no apologies. If it hit you and delivered that experience to you the way the other movies didn't, then that's what it did for you. I personally can't agree because I didn't have that same experience. I prefer the other two movies, but that doesn't matter. That's the way you experience them. They meant that to you, and that's all that matters, man. So don't you apologize for that. All right, Alan uh, writes, who sends in a $20 tip. Thank you for that, Alan. And Alan writes in, hey, John, I love the Deadpool movies, and it's puzzling to me why Marvel hasn't greenlit Deadpool 3. Uh, do you think if this goes on longer that Reynolds would walk away and Marvel would recast Deadpool? Personally, I think Marvel would be making a mistake. Well, no, listen. Remember, this is the same thing with X-Men, the same thing with Fantastic Four. Kevin Feige said when they were taking over Fox, when, when Disney said they're taking over Fox, Kevin Feige said, look, guys, I've got the next five years planned out. I'm, I'm, I'm my, my dance card is full. My next five years are planned because every, remember everybody insisted, oh, we're going to get a, uh, an X-Men cameo in the end game post credits scene. Oh, they're going to do a fantastic four, uh, thing in, in infinity war. But remember all that? And we kept saying, no guys, listen, Kevin Feige said, he's got no plans to do that. Everybody was convinced he would. And of course he didn't. So compounding that. I still think Disney is trying to figure out what to do with Deadpool. I am honestly not convinced they've even made up their mind what to do with them. Do we make him PG-13 and put him into the MCU proper? Do we keep him rated R and put him in a separate cinematic universe like Fox kind of did when he was still over at Fox? I personally think what they should do is keep Deadpool under the Fox banner and have him separate from the MCU. Keep him rated R. That's the way he works. Uh, because Bob Iger is simply not going to let an R-rated Deadpool in the MCU proper. I just don't think they're going to do that. So you got to understand, it's it's the same thing as X-Men and Fantastic Four. Kevin Feige said his dance card is full right now. He'll get around. No, Ryan Reynolds is never going to walk away from Deadpool. It doesn't matter if they have to wait for a while. By the way, Ryan Reynolds is real busy. If you look at his IMDb, he's got a lot of work going on. Um, so he'll get back to it. So the only way I see him walking away from Deadpool, and I'm not saying he would. I'm just saying the only way I would even think it's possible is if Disney said, yep, we're going to put Deadpool in the MCU proper and we're going to make him PG-13. Maybe Ryan walks away at that point because that's not his vision of Deadpool at all. Like, that's not his envisioning of Deadpool in the least. And I have a feeling that's something that Disney is weighing into their decisions because maybe Ryan Reynolds walks if they want to make him PG-13. Maybe they don't. I, again, I just think it's too early to call. So because they haven't made announcements about X-Men, they haven't made any announcements about Fantastic Four, I'm not surprised that they haven't made any announcements about Deadpool either. So there's that, Alan. But let's keep our eyes open. I desperately want a Deadpool 3, man. I'm excited for it. Ben Rayner writes, 
Hey, John, I got to get a Steel and Stone show. That looks awesome. Uh, loving this season of Doom Patrol. You're all caught up, right? Do you think, uh, what do you think of the latest episode? I am not caught up. I haven't watched the latest episode. Um, I have the last couple of days I've been trying, I've been watching um, Nun Warrior. I've been trying to watch, uh, or Warrior Nun. Is that what it, yeah, Warrior Nun. I've been trying to watch Warrior Nun. So I have not seen the latest episode of Doom Patrol. I saw the one before that, the Sex Men. I saw that one, but I have not seen the newest one. So maybe sometime today I'll have a chance to sit down and watch the newest one. All right, Julie Say Goodwin writes, after watching the last episode, again, about Doom Patrol, I want, nay, I demand that Stone and Steel be made into a show. Somebody, Netflix, Hulu, HBO Max, needs to do this right now. Well, I guess I got to look forward to some characters called Stone and Steel. I do not know who they are because I haven't watched the latest episode. Hopefully I will do that today. I'll keep my eyes open for that, Julius. An anonymous viewer writes, John, what's your opinion on Splash Mountain being replaced? Why use Princess and the Frog IP and not a more successful movie? I don't give a shit. I don't care. <laughs> why would I? I mean, I, I, I have, why would I care what they name a, a slow moving boat ride at a theme park? I have, I don't care. Princess and the Frog, though, I mean, that is one of the traditional Disney, that is now one of the new Disney princesses. And I, I know a lot of people loved Princess and the Frog, so why not? Not to mention Princess and the Frog, when you're talking about Bayou and stuff like that, that what that is, that whole ride, that is suited more to like a uh, to like a Princess and the Frog than like a lot of the other IPs. Like for instance, you can make Tower of Terror Guardians of the Galaxy, because that fits what Guardians of the Galaxy is. So that that seems to make sense to me. But bottom line is who gives a shit? I mean, who cares? Some slow-moving boat ride in a theme park. Why would I care what they theme it after? I, I simply don't care. I don't care. All right. Uh, Johnny writes, Hey, John. Great to see the show back. Thank you so much, Johnny. It's good to be back. Uh, hope you rested well, admittedly due to timing and schedule. I didn't follow the open mics, but I hope to be able to be back to the show at least. All the best and the filthy. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. It's good having the show back up and running again. And I got a lot of work done on the documentary. We're moving full speed ahead right now on the documentary. I'm going to hope, I still don't know what I'm doing with it. Like, I don't know if my documentary is going to be a bag of shit. I don't know if it's going to be really good, but, and then am I going to be able to get a distributor for it? You know, I got offered, a I had two distributor offers for my movie, The Anniversary, but they were terrible offers. Like that was actually going to cost me money to sign up with this, with this distributor. And it was actually going to cost me money and it was a terrible deal. And so even though I was offered distribution for my movie, I ended up just putting it up on an online rental system and I actually made my money back on the movie, which was great. So what do I do with this documentary when I'm done? I don't know. Do I see if I can get some streaming service or distribution deal signed? Maybe I see if I can get lucky. Um, do I just put it up on a rental service? Do I put it up on YouTube? Um, I don't know. But it's, it's something that I'm passionate about. And so I'm, I'm putting a lot of my myself into it. And I'm putting a lot of money into it too. But we'll see how it turns out. But I did get a lot done. Anyway, good to have you here, Johnny. Thanks a lot for the message, man. All right, Ben Atwater writes, I watched the HBO miniseries John Adams on HBO Max with Paul Giamatti. I like that John Adams series, as a matter of fact. And man, what an amazing show. Great directing from Tom Hooper and overall fantastic acting and sets telling an epic story about the start of the USA. Have you seen it? Basically a non-musical 1776. I liked it very much, as long as I'm thinking of the right one. 
Uh, Tom Hooper, by the way, the guy who directed The King's Speech with Colin Firth, uh, one of my favorite movies of the past 15 years, King's Speech. Unfortunately, he also directed Cats, but but whatever. We'll put that aside for now. But yeah, man, I'm actually big. If I'm thinking of the right one, the one with Paul Giamatti, I'm actually a big fan of it, and I liked it very much. All right, Anonymous Viewer writes, we need a family-friendly Mr. Rogers PSA video on mask wearing. Yes, we do. Because Mr. Rogers would talk everybody into it, and it wouldn't even be a question. All right, an anonymous viewer also writes, um, Kordesky trained you. I, tra I trained Kordesky. The only time in a movie where a senior citizen beating up the younger badass made logical sense. Is that... Uh, is that Hunt for Red October? Hold on a second. Um... Now I'm, I'm looking it up because I can't remember if that was it. Oh, no, not Red October. It's Red. Sorry, it's from Red. Retired, extremely dangerous. Red. I loved Red. I loved Red. Did not like Red 2. Um, Red, for those of you who don't remember, it's got um, John Malkovich, Bruce Willis. One of the last Bruce Willis movies I really like Bruce Willis in. Um, uh, um, 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 the Queen. Um Helen Mirren, I really liked Red. Not a big fan of Red 2, though. I thought that was a, I was really disappointed with Red 2. I thought that could have been so much better. Oh, and Carl Urban, I think, was in that, too. Anyway, uh, Sam Phillip, uh, uh, Phillip writes, What do you think are the chances that we get some sort of Superman announcement at DC Fandom next month? Some sort of Superman announcement? Probably pretty good. The Superman announcement, J.J. Abrams is going to do a Superman movie with Henry Cavill in the lead. That I'm not sure. I think that's coming. But I think they're going to spend a couple of years rebuilding uh, Superman with smaller roles in films that will lead up to a J.J. Abrams Superman movie with Henry Cavill in the lead. So some sort of Superman announcement pretty good chance but such an announcement will be superman will appear in somebody else's movie superman will cameo in this i don't think we're gonna get the superman announcement it would be really cool if we did but i'm not expecting that so we'll have to wait and see we'll find out uh but we'll be waiting on the edge of our seats sam all right tom wiggin writes x-men uh, X-Men turning 20 shook me. It will always hold a special place in my heart because it was the last movie I went to with my nephew before he lost his battle with cancer. Uh, he would have been amazed at where these films have gone since then. We are a lucky fan base. Dude, that's, you know, you have a very similar experience to me. You know, we off, I often get people writing in that talk about experiences they've had with the movie that also is a reflection of the final experience they had with a certain person. You know, we've had, I've had people write in even just in the last couple of weeks about this movie meant a lot to me because it's the last one that I watched with my dad or this film meant a lot, a lot to me because I would watch it every year with my brother uh, who they lost. You know, for me, I have a little bit of a similar story where, you know, my best friend growing up, um, and I've told this story before. My best friend growing up who passed away just a couple of years ago, uh, which was kind of the impetus for me leaving my last job. But I, I still remember, like, one of my favorite memories with him was he and I, when we were kids, 
or at least much younger, we went to go see the Tim Burton 1989 Batman. And we went to go see that together. And I, and I just, whenever anybody mentions that Batman film, um, I, I think of him, you know? And it's amazing how that's one of the beautiful things about movies. It creates these shared experiences. And those shared experiences become really special. When you laugh and cry and jump scare and, and, and feel emotion or whatever with another person and you share that experience, it becomes not only a bonding moment, it becomes something that becomes an anchor for you in your memories. And um, yeah, man, X-Men turning 20, that, that's a beautiful thing to share, Todd. Thank you so much for sharing that. And, uh, and I hope it, it creates fun. It, it, turning 20, I hope creates really fond memories for you as you look back on that. Um, okay, uh, next up, only got a couple more to go here, guys. We're going to get in here under two hours. I'm, I'm Sure, we're going to get under two hours. Star Wars Rocks writes, Hey, John, we all know how you feel about sports like the NFL and hockey, but what do you think about volleyball? I don't follow volleyball, but um, I, I think vol volleyball is an incredibly fun sport to play. I played it when I was in school. And actually, a guy I was in business with a bunch of years ago was actually like an Olympic, uh, was a part of, he was a part of the Olympic program for volleyball. Uh, and played beach volleyball at an Olympic level. He never got to the Olympics, but he played Olympic level volleyball where he was in contention to uh, join that stuff. So I'm a big fan of volleyball. I don't follow volleyball, but you know, when I go, when I'm you know going across, whether it's regular court volleyball or beach volleyball, I'll stop and watch it for a bit. I think volleyball is a lot of fun. Uh, and of course, you can't think of volleyball, not think of uh, beach volleyball in particular, and not think about Top Gun, right? Playing with the boys. All right, K, uh, K, uh, Koa, 1708 writes, I am re-watching the John Wick movies, and I remember what you said. The killing of the puppy justified every killing John Wick made in the first movie. LOL, even if the bad guys killed his wife, it wouldn't have created as much anger as the puppy. So what Koa is talking about is, listen, John Wick... He murders a lot of people, right? If you, as a filmmaker, if you want everybody to be right on board with John Wick, where you feel there is a righteous vengeance that need to be, needs to be taken, then the filmmakers needed to come up with something that would make an audience feel like all this unholy violence that he was about to visit upon his enemies in that movie all the immense amount of murder and carnage that John Wick was about to do. If you as a filmmaker want the audience to feel sympathetic for him and feel like he's still doing all this unspeakable violence while still being clearly the hero, you got to do something early in that movie to get everybody on board to feel that righteous indignation. And they did it brilliantly. Because the moment... That dude killed John Wick's puppy. The moment he killed that puppy, there are nuns in the movie theater going, fuck that guy. Fuck him in his fucking face. John Wick, go and kill that guy. Like there are nuns and grandmas in movie theaters going, fuck him in his face. Go rip every organ he has out of his body by killing that puppy. By killing that puppy. That's what they did. It was brilliant. Because from that moment on, 
no matter what John Wick did, in the eyes of the audience, it was not only justifiable, but it was encouraged. You know what I mean? All by killing that puppy. And it's it's, it's it was brilliant. From a narrative point of view, it was absolutely brilliant. All right, next up. Uh, Federico uh, Della Casa writes, Hi from Italy. Buongiorno, man. Uh, X-Men was the first movie from my favorite director. Usual Suspects was my favorite for some time. And I was afraid uh, that sucked because we had only a few movies in the 90s. Remember Steel and Captain America? But I didn't as a as a BFG, say, as a Battlestar Galactica fan. So say we all. Yeah, I mean, listen. It is, it is a little tricky, understandably. It is very, very tricky today to talk about Brian Singer. It is. It's, it's very tricky to talk about Brian Singer with all the allegations that there have been about the dude. It should be pointed out. Nothing's, he's never been found guilty of anything. But still, it's a very, very tricky thing to talk about Brian um, at the, in this day and age. But that being said, uh, The Usual Suspects is one of my top 10 favorite movies of all time. Um, and that, that, that movie becomes doubly problematic because not only is there Brian Singer attached, there's, there's also Kevin Spacey involved with that. But yeah, it's true. When you get to this, this superhero movie, you got the director from Usual Suspects doing the superhero movie and man, seriously, it's, it's place, regardless of whatever you think about anything else, it's place is just clearly, clearly cemented in history. All right. Jake Pyle writes. It sends in like a $25 tip. Thank you, Jake, for sending that in. And if there's a question in here, your, your, the answer to it will be segmented out and put up as its own standalone video here. Uh, hi, John. I love your show. Thank you so much. Do you think it is possible that the new releases like Tenet and Mulan could release internationally first where cinemas can reopen safely like here in the UK and then in the US once COVID situation is better? No. I believe that can happen for movies like Unhinged or for some smaller films. But they aren't going to do Tenant like that. Number one, Christopher Nolan would never let them do it. Uh, number two, it's just too big of a film to do a rollout like that. Not to mention, they'd be totally terrified of piracy. They would be totally terrified of piracy. So I can see it happening with some smaller films. And I can see them releasing Tenant or Mulan or Wonder Woman 84 in other countries one or two weeks early. But I do not see Warner Brothers or Disney or whatever releasing a major tentpole film in international markets when they don't even know when they can open it in North America. North America is the most important, the biggest movie market there is. Uh, they're not going to risk that. So a movie like Unhinged, a small little film, that's the first film by that particular studio, that I can see happening. Tenant, Mulan, Wonder Woman 84... I don't. I mean, never say never. Nothing's impossible. We're in unprecedented times, but I, I don't see that happening, unfortunately. All right. Thanks for the question, Jake. I appreciate that. And again, thank you for supporting the channel on that level. All right. Final question of the day, and then we're wrapping up here, guys. Rickiest Ricky writes, Hey, John and gang, welcome back. Don't know if you've already covered this, but feel that AMC is making A-list membership cancellations very difficult. Uh, I just don't want to be charged until I feel comfortable going back to the movies. Any thoughts? Well, listen, I... I the only reason it's difficult to cancel AMC AMC A-list right now is because they have frozen AMC A-list. Like, you're not being charged. It's all frozen. Once they open back up, it will be as easy as before to cancel it if you want to cancel it. It will be totally easy to cancel if you want to cancel once they open. Right now, though, we don't even know when they're going to be, be able to open. 
they're supposed to open on July 30th, but now with California passing, you know, making it illegal for them to open right now, I don't know if that's going to be lifted by July 30th. I don't know if California will say, okay, it's all right for theaters to open now in the next two weeks, two, two, you know, two plus weeks. So if they got to stay closed, then your AMC a list is going to remain frozen. Like you, but you're not getting charged right now, but no, I don't think there's going to be any problem in cancellation. Once AMC opens back up for business and they're up and running, if you want to cancel a list, I don't think there's going to be any problem doing it. I, I really don't. I don't know that for sure, but that's my guess. But I don't think they're going to be opening anytime soon, unfortunately. All right. Fair question there, Rickius. All right, guys, that will do it for today's installment of the John Campion Show. Thank you so much for being here and being a part of the show, guys. I really do appreciate it that out of all the things you could be doing and spending your time on today, you choose to spend a part of your day here with us. And I appreciate that greatly. And a big special thank you to all you guys who sent in those questions. Number one, because you gave us great fun things to talk about. But number two, you supported this channel while you did it. And listen, by the way, guys, remember, you can start sending in live questions and comments for the live questions part of the show anytime you want 24-7 by going to that streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. If you send them in now in the next couple of hours, your question will be one of the first ones that gets answered on the show tomorrow. And again, thank you to all you guys who do that. Guys, that will do it for me for today. Remember, please do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and take care of the people around you. If we all did that, we'd get through this thing sooner rather than later. Guys, thanks so much for being here. My name is John Campy, folks. We'll be back again tomorrow. And until next time, my friends, bye-bye.